millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number six in our series for 2022, and today's date is Friday, March the 11th. First, I'll be talking to Pete Neal, founder and CEO of PowPal, an Australian-developed app that is changing the way Australians use energy in their homes, slashing bills and reducing household carbon emissions in the process. The app has so far reduced CO2 emissions by 21,388 tonnes and helped Australians save $695,723 since November 2020. And I'll be talking to economist Nicholas Grimm about what can be done to isolate Russia's economy. But now let's talk to Pete Nick. Pete, tell us about PowerPal. So PowerPal was founded back in 2017 off the back of a an, an exit that uh, myself and my co-founders had achieved with another business. So we'd been, oh, I spent the last 15 years building a business, doing customer engagement solutions in the, uh, the telco space. And we sold that business to a large NASDAQ listed Swedish company called Cinch. And they were one of our biggest competitors. So we do them quite well. Um, but we... I guess, yeah, sort of didn't realize quite what it would be like working in a, uh, a larger organization. So we were moving from a 50-person organization uh, to a 5,000-person organization in, in Cinch and realized pretty quickly that, uh, yeah, we'd had an awful lot of autonomy for a long period of time and uh, that probably working in that larger organization wasn't for us. So we had a six-month retention period uh, with, the, with that, that, that business. And when that came to an end, we decided to go off and do, do something new. So we were looking for kind of new industries to go after because the, the restriction that we had with the, the business that we'd sold was an 18-month uh, period. So we couldn't go and do anything in telco for a while. Um, so uh, we were sort of looking around. And at the time, it was, well, I guess kind of every day it was headline news um, that uh, yeah, the energy transition was causing problems. So yeah, the ACCC had released their consumer price inquiry to, uh, to determine why prices had doubled. And we had government chief scientist Alan Finkel was doing um, a big review into the sort of pathway for Australia to achieve net zero. And the, yeah, so the, the uh, well, and then Malcolm Turnbull got kicked out by Scott Morrison at the end of that. And so I thought, well, there's a lot going on there. Maybe there's an opportunity to reuse the skills that we'd had from the, uh, the telco industry and apply them to a, a kind of new utility style kind of uh, environment. 
So uh, we dug into those reports and we found, yeah, there was this, this common thread all the way through of this need to take your uh, kind of average Australian on the journey towards net zero and the need for uh, digital tools to, uh, to help uh, consumers navigate this transition. And so we thought, yeah, well, that, that looks interesting. Yeah, maybe we can, uh, we can make a difference there. So and that was really where PowerPal got started. So we managed to, it was me and uh, one of my uh, ex-colleagues at Dialogue that um, sort of decided to go on that journey. And we encouraged in one of my old friends, a gentleman by the name of Rick Grundy, um, to come and join us on the journey uh, as the CTO. And that was where PowerPal started. So what does PowerPal actually do? So PowerPal's an energy engagement system. So if you think about a Fitbit, kind of when you're, you know, your, your Fitbit uh, provides you with this kind of real-time instant feedback that you know, on, on uh, your exercise routine, and it will give you prompts to say, you know, you've been sitting for too long or... Uh, yeah, maybe you should yeah, uh, uh, sort of go, go for a walk this afternoon. And what PowerPal does is exactly the same thing, but it's like a Fitbit for your home. So it will tell you in real time how your home's using energy and then give you tips on, uh, on ways that you can, you can change or adjust your, your energy use to either improve your energy bills or reduce your environmental footprint. So you get this kind of universal uh, experience when people first get their PowerPal installed. It's, a, it's an app? It is an app, yes. So uh, there's a physical product component to it as well, just like a Fitbit. And the, the PowerPal product itself goes on your electricity meter takes about 60 seconds to install. Um, so it just clips onto the front of your electricity meter and then it's got magnets to stick onto your, uh, your meter box. And the app then takes the data from your energy meter and displays it um, on your phone in real time. And you get this kind of universal response where people run around their home with their app in their hand, kind of turning on and off all the appliances in their home and going, my God, I didn't realize it costs so much to run the air conditioner. And uh, you get this kind of moment of enlightenment as, uh, as it comes through. And how much will that reduce electricity bill? So it depends who you believe. Um, so there's a whole bunch of research that's been done in this space. And uh, you know, in some of those studies, they found that electricity use actually increases. And in some of them, they've seen sort of, uh, yeah, we've had people report uh, reducing their energy use by up to 50%. So you get people kind of sending through their bills to you and saying, my God, you know, this, this is the best, best thing ever. Now we get paid through a government environmental scheme, and that's based on 6.6%. So based on the sort of regulated amounts, if you get this type of feedback, um, then on average, you will reduce your energy consumption by 6.6%. The, the, the business payoff for you guys as well. So we get about uh, $160 for each product that we install. And from right. that, we have to cover our product costs, our marketing costs, and then the installation costs, because we have to have a, a registered installer go out and install the product. Oh. And, uh, and then we get a bit of margin on top of that as well. So how many of those have you installed? So we've just tipped over 115,000. So uh, we started the rollout. It's predominantly in Victoria because we're a part of the Victorian Energy Upgrades program there. And um, we started the rollout in uh, what, fe February last year uh, was when the, um, the, the project kicked off. And we got about... February 2020. 2020, yeah. And we got about three weeks in before COVID hit. And, uh, and then we had to mothball the whole thing for six months because we couldn't, just couldn't go and visit anybody's homes to do the, uh, the installations. 
and uh, we kicked everything off again in November. So it's been just under a year uh, to uh, to reach that number. Of course, during that time, you've had lockdowns as well. Exactly. So we were really lucky with the second uh, round of lockdowns where there was a an exemption for uh, called solo outdoor home installations was the uh, the product category. So for the last six months, there's basically been PowerPal and Coles that have been open in uh, in Victoria. So it's, it's been, uh, yeah, sort of uh, better than the first time around, you might say. Right. Now, you, you're, you're based in Victoria, but are you planning to expand to other states? We are. So we've been in discussions with the New South Wales government for some time, and they're still really planning their policy. So they've got a uh, oh, two schemes, one called the Energy Security Safeguard, and one called the Peak Demand Reduction Scheme. And uh, those are new. They've only really just been implemented, or the policy has only just been implemented last month. And they'll be looking at new activities to bring into the scheme next year. So they've been watching very closely in Victoria, uh, what we've been doing uh, sort of a little bit further south. And uh, we're hopeful that we'll be able to uh, attract the uh, the interest of the New South Wales government as part of their net zero initiatives as, uh, as we head into next year. So uh, hopefully uh, you'll be operating in New South Wales as well. Absolutely. So the, you know, the plan is um, we're at the moment very much reliant on these government schemes. Um, so Victoria has been fantastic for us. I think if we hadn't have had the backing of the Victorian government, it would have been very difficult for us to get started. Because um, yeah, when we commercialised this, uh, this project, the first thing we did was we went round and saw all the energy retailers and, uh, and kind of showed them what we got. We had this really slick setup where we had an electricity meter in a box and um, you know, a kind of demo rig that we could take around. And the universal response was all these innovation guys kind of fell off their chairs and went, my God, we've never seen anything this good. This is fantastic. Don't leave the room before you sign a pilot kind of thing. And so we ended up signing pilots with all five of the big energy retailers um, for varying levels through sort of 1,000 homes to kind of 50 homes, depending on what their objectives were. And they all went swimmingly well. The customer feedback was kind of off the charts. And then, yeah, so we kind of came back and uh, said, well, that went well. And so then I sent Mitch in, who's our CCO with his contract. I said, go get them signed up, mate. And yeah, he sort of, uh, he, he goes along and, um, and says, right, let's get, get cracking. And, um, and then they say, well, what's your business case? And it's like, well, what do you mean? What's your business case? And I'm like, well, if you want to charge us kind of 30 bucks a year for delivering this service, you're going to have to deliver at least 60 bucks worth of value back to us. And it's like, but you know, they, the customers love it. What do you mean? And they're like, well, the margin from a typical residential energy customer is about $90 a year. So if you want to take 30, yeah, 30% of that away, you're going to have to give us something back in return. And so it was a bit of a kind of a, uh, ah, right, okay, uh, <laughs> how do we manage this? So we were very lucky that we were able to connect with the Department of Land, Water and Planning in Victoria, um, who encouraged us to apply to have our product accredited. And, uh, and that's really what's got us started. But we've got a sort of a number of products in the pipeline that go beyond just the basic energy monitoring. And those are potentially global uh, applications and will be funded uh, through different models. I can't talk about them too, too much at the moment because we're not launching them until Q1 next year. But uh, the plan very much is to use kind of Victoria and Australia in general as our beachhead, and then yeah, take our technology off to California and Europe and the UK, and uh, and go and deliver those uh, those benefits as sort of you know as, any, as many places as we can. You would need to have fairly good relationships with utilities, wouldn't you? No, so we we if you think about PowerPal um, and you sort of take a parallel with the telco space, we're a bit like WhatsApp, but for energy. So we don't have to integrate with the uh, the utility at all. We're like an OTT player. 
that kind of sits over the top of all the existing infrastructure there. So we've kind of given up. We're trying to partner with the utilities entirely at the moment, at least. And yeah, we're, uh, we're, at the moment, the money comes from the government. And in the future, the money will come from the consumer. It's the same reason WhatsApp doesn't have to connect with telcos. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, yeah, and it's, it gives you this benefit where rather than having to sign up all of these little contracts with every kind of energy retailer globally, you just kind of you know, go for it. Um, you know, our technology is compatible with any digital, electro- uh, digital electricity meter. And there's over a billion of them out there. So, um, yeah, plenty of market to go at. I would imagine you'd have uh, some customers would go out, rush out and say, oh, God, is that how much electricity I use? Uh, let's install solar panels. Indeed. So we, we have a, a solar simulation feature in the app, which will take your location and uh, sort of take the amount of sun that's going to hit your roof for your particular latitude and uh, will then take your how you're using energy in your home and layer that solar system over the top and show you how much you can save. And um, we're selling about oh, 20 or 30 solar systems a week at the moment through that, uh, through that channel. So there's a bunch of different kind of revenue um, elements to the, uh, to the proposition. Now, these would only work with houses. They don't work with apartments. No, so the problem we have with apartments is that all the meters are down in the basement somewhere ah. and generally locked away. And so they're just too far away for the uh, for the radio signals to reach. So we've got some ideas about how we might tackle apartments in the future. But it's kind of one of these things where, you know, do you want to do something or do nothing? And we could do 90 percent of, of homes uh, without sort of covering the apartment piece. So apologies to everybody who's got an apartment who wants a power pal. We're working on it. Okay, so where do you see power pal going? So as I say, I think um, yeah, we're doing very, very well in Victoria at the moment. Uh, we've got more than 15,000 five-star reviews um, for the product and yeah, it's setting like hotcakes. I think the challenge for us next is to get off the, um, the government's sort of re- reliance on that government money and that's what we'll need to scale. So we're in the process of developing our next business model, which will be launched in Q1 next year. And um, from there, that will be funded in a different way. It'll be a subscription revenue model. And we'll be going down the traditional VC track in order to scale that out. And as I say, you know, next will be New South Wales and then maybe Queensland and then California and then maybe Germany and then maybe the UK. Everybody has got the same problem with the transition to net zero. Uh, the technology we've got is unique. And um, yeah, we're pretty bullish about the, uh, the, the opportunity in the future. Okay, well, that's fantastic. And thank you very much for your time. No worries. Thank you very much. And now let's talk to economist Nicholas Greer. Uh, Nicholas Gurian, uh, I want to explore two tweets of yours about the extraordinary events unfolding in the Ukraine, the actions of Vladimir Zelensky. Can you read them out to me? So uh, the the first tweet I wanted to read is a very simple one. I was uh, retweeting some things from the Financial Review about economic warfare against Russia, I suppose, but it struck me that uh, we're in a moment not unlike what the, the moment that Churchill referred to when he said the destiny of mankind. You can imagine this is in the middle of World War Two, uh, middle of 1941. The destiny of mankind is not decided by material computation. When great causes are on the move, we learn that we are spirits, not animals. Uh, what I was appealing to there was that the we, we had had lots of talk over the weekend about how the sanctions were designed to maximise the punishment to Russia, maximise the pain on Russia and minimise the pain on those imposing the sanctions. And that's a fine idea. Of course, it's a good principle. 
But the question ultimately becomes when you're fighting, are you prepared to suffer for what you believe in? And uh, I was thinking at the time that the uh, that the you, particularly the Germans, the Europeans wanted to say they were imposing sanctions without going without Russian gas, and that struck me as well. That was the, the hence my reference to Churchill's point about material computation: Are we in a fight, or are we just pretending? That was the the big question. And Zelensky was the guy who, by not making material computations in his own interests changed everything. Just an extraordinary thing. There's also another quote in another tweet of yours. Could you take us through that? So that quote is a quote from the philosopher William James. And it's when I tweeted it, I wrote, my tweet was, this is William James on Volodymyr Zelensky. And so I will, it's, uh, it'll take me about 40 seconds to get through it or perhaps a bit more. A social organism of any sort, whatever, large or small, is what it is because each member proceeds to his own duty with a trust that the other members will simultaneously do theirs. Whenever a desired result is achieved by the cooperation of many independent persons, its existence as a fact is a pure consequence of the pr- precursive faith in one another of those immediately concerned. A government, an army, a commercial system, a ship, a college, an athletic team all exist in this condition without which not only is nothing achieved, but nothing is even attempted. A whole train of passengers, individually brave enough, will be looted by a few highwaymen simply because the latter can count on one another while each passenger fears that if he makes a movement of resistance, he will be shot before anyone else backs him up. So, again, this is how viral courage is. Uh, this is. This is what Zelensky did. And I was talking to someone yesterday, and he said, isn't it inspirational? And, he, and, and I said, yes, it is inspirational, but that word gets bandied about, about all the time. You can give a talk, a bit of a TED talk, and people say how inspirational it is. I think the thing that's so extraordinary about Zelensky, the reason it speaks to us so powerfully is that Zelensky essentially did his job. He's the, you know, he did his job like the captain of the Titanic, which let's hope it's more successful than the captain of the Titanic, but he was sailing the ship and his job is to go down with the ship if he can't save the passengers. And, uh, and in a world in which everyone's looking for the next, uh, their next career move, where we, we go through the motions uh, this was a, a very dramatic, this is, this is something which we can recognise. And that's what I thought was so, so remarkable about it. Okay, so um, what's the material significance of these words? I mean, how do they give practical guidance as to what we should be doing? So th- th- they point in the same direction, which is to say that we are now in, uh, uh, w- w- we, we're fighting the Russians. And we're fighting for Ukraine and we should be prepared. And in fact, I'm not really talking about Australians because this, this doesn't involve Australians, but we. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. But the Europeans should be, the Europeans are defending their own freedom and they should be prepared to suffer for that if they have to. I'm speaking economically here. Uh, So keep turning the screws to try to uh, deal with this. And if you overdo the material computation, you'll screw up the human side of things, which which is essentially to fight. So how do they do that without actually doing themselves a lot of economic damage. That's the point. They will do that. I'm saying they should be prepared to suffer economic damage. This is, this is the whole idea that we can fight something. If we're in a fight, we, we have to, the, the premise of being in a fight is that you are prepared to be hurt in order to hurt someone else. That's a ugly, that's an ugly situation. We have a war going on. So the idea of economic sanctions is to of is to stay out of war, to not kill people. But it isn't to avoid, you know, it isn't to avoid your, obviously you should avoid whatever harm you can, but you're in a fight. And the idea of the fight is to try to win the fight, not to simply pretend and uh, not to simply pretend and then everything goes on as normal. And that was very much what it was looking like until Zelensky stood in the streets of Kiev and said, I'm not going anywhere. I I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. And he changed changed it for everyone. Indeed. And uh, so, I mean, the the economic impact of that would be massive. I mean, you're talking about, well, you're going to be rising energy costs for for a start and rising inflation would be the other one. Don't see that. What a terrible thing, uh, as opposed to as opposed to the invasion of a country of 40 million people and millions of refugees. Uh, but it's true. It's true. That's what we should say. We should say to the people of Europe, your gas prices, your energy prices, which have gone through the roof in the last 10 years because you shut down nuclear and did all kinds of crazy things, they're going up. They will go up in the short term. This will, this will hurt. World War II hurt too. <laughs> As your family and my family know, Leon. This is something they, they, they have to wear. They have to wear the economic damage. Well, they have to decide if they're in a fight or whether they're pretending. Right, okay, okay. Uh, now, now, again, I'm not saying just, just go for suffering for its own sake, and I'm not saying that I know exactly the level of calibration that these sanctions should have. What I am saying is this idea that we can impose large costs on the Russians without imposing costs on ourselves. Well, it's been done very well with, uh, you know, central bank interdiction and various things. Congratulations. But don't mistake that 
for the idea that you get into a fight and then you really pretend to fight. Uh, that's really what has sort of happened over Ukraine, uh, sorry, over the Crimea and any number of other things. And all of a sudden, because of Zelensky, it seems, we got serious. And that is a, that's a fantastic thing, I think. And again, reminds us of our friend Winston Churchill in the early 1940s. But I mean, I know you think that being bold is not all. I mean, you've also spoken about the need for prudence. In this I have, I have. And so, and so I, I guess, I guess the, we, we're talking about lines between economic action and military action. I'm very happy with the way things are going at the moment. And we have to balance this awful tendency I think we've had for decades to pretend we are doing something but not really to get in a fight even an economic one with the fact that we're dealing with 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 a massive nuclear arsenal that's that's above my pay grade so I'm offering my thoughts but this is a very difficult situation and I've always thought without diminishing the significance of climate change again throughout the last two decades as climate change has become more and more important we sort of decided that nuclear that nuclear war wasn't a problem well it sits there i think it's a bigger problem all the time than climate change and we need to keep that in mind and bearing in mind that uh, without oil and gas Vladimir Putin doesn't have much left except for nukes oh well that's true if he's decided that uh, you know if he's decided that he's prepared to blow the place up because he might lose that's 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 something we have to think about we have to act with resolve and great care but we shouldn't be kidding ourselves that if we get in a fight that we're trying to get in that fight without any damage to ourselves. Well, Nicholas Gruen, those are very striking comments and uh, thank you very Mm. much for your time. Thank you. So what's happening in the news? Well, with Moscow threatening to cut off gas to Europe and warning oil prices could surge to US $300 a barrel if Western nations bore exports of Russian oil, Britain has joined the United States in banning Russian oil amid petrol price spikes that have sparked panic buying of fuel in both nations. Most global markets are in turmoil as Putin's attack on Ukraine has triggered a flight to safety among global investors. The top 14 worst performing markets so far this year are all from the European region, with Russia topping the list. Wall Street also had its biggest drop in more than a year, as another leap for oil prices threatened to squeeze inflation's grip on the global economy. And Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the tough sanctions that have followed have sent oil prices surging to their highest levels since July 2008. They've also crushed hopes for a strong global rebound from the coronavirus crisis. The conflict has got Wall Street analysts talking about investors' worst nightmare, stagflation. Stagflation is a mixture of high inflation and a stagnant economy. It was the defining economic term of the 1970s, a decade in which the US entered a crushing recession, but inflation nonetheless soared above 12%. The stagflation of the 70s shocked economists. Up until then, the consensus was that inflation would cool when the economy slowed because fewer people would be bonding to buy goods and services. Now it has the potential to shock investors. And Shell will phase out all purchases of Russian oil and gas with an immediate halt to crude deals on the short-term market, making a dramatic U-turn in response to international opprobrium over its dealings with the country. The invasion of Ukraine prompted a huge range of companies to withdraw from their operations in Russia, including energy giants BP and ExxonMobil. 
Attention has now shifted to the country's energy exports, a crucial source of revenue for President Vladimir Putin's government. And TUP's financial sanctions against Vladimir Putin's Russia may affect a larger share of the Australian economy than first thought, new research shows. While Australia's economic relationship with Russia is insignificant, equating to just 0.2% of total trade, new research from data analytics firm Purpose Bureau says the impact of tough new trade restrictions sparked by the invasion of Ukraine could be felt acutely by close to 1,000 small to medium-sized unlisted businesses with close links to Russia. Australian businesses are prohibited from dealing with close to a dozen Russian banks and are now banned from exporting certain goods, including items, used for oil and gas exploration and production. Purpose Bureau used natural language processing to scan websites, media and administrative data for 1.1 million Australian businesses and identified 948 unlisted companies with significant operational exposure to Russia. Firms qualified as having ongoing operational exposure if they had an operating entity in Russia, a physical office or store in Russia, or provision goods or services to Russian customers. Purpose Bureau Chief Executive Nick Camper said the companies identified were mainly involved with providing support services for industrial and agricultural production and Russia's oil and gas industry, which is the subject of tough sanctions. Almost 37% of the Russian-linked firms are based in either Queensland or Western Australia, despite the resource-rich states making up just 29% of the Australian economy. Over the course of 2021, Australia exported about $821 million worth of goods and services to Russia and imported $453 million. And Brookfield and Mike Cannon-Brooks are still pursuing ambitions to take over AGL Energy, despite walking away from being rebuffed on their close to $9 billion takeover proposal, contacting shareholders on Monday to garner support and stoke doubts about the board's alternative demerger plan. The move is being seen as a tactic to undermine AGL's demerger proposal, potentially setting it up to fail, at which time the bidding partners could pounce. While Mr Cannon-Brooks took to Twitter to declare it was pens down on the takeover bid, the consortium might re-emerge with another bid, given uncertainty among shareholders over the demerger plan. It remains in talks with several of the company's investors. The 10% increase in their proposed offer to $8.25 a share has also been enough to convince some AGL shareholders that the board should change tack and engage in discussions or open up the company's books amid doubts about the viability of the plan to split the company. Investors are piling pressure on AGL Energy's board to demonstrate that the proposed demerger of the company can deliver more value to shareholders than what has become the Plan B scenario. At least one institutional investor in AGL met senior management late on Monday to ask them to open up their books to the bidding consortium, but got the message that they were holding firm to their view that the revised offer was still not high enough to take that step. Several major shareholders said AGL may have been too hasty in its approach, given uncertainties around the company's own demerger scheme, and exploratory talks with the high-profile suitors may have been a better path for the 180-year-old operator. Brookfield and Mr Cannon Brooks seem to be biding their time before potentially pouncing again when AGL's board may have been weakened by unrest about the demerger. The demerger needs approval from 75% of shareholders. And BHP expects a slowdown in global economic growth amid accelerating inflation and surging commodity prices, with a fallout from Russia's invasion of Ukraine further dampening the outlook. The world's largest miner in February originally forecast a 5% expansion for world economic growth, but on Tuesday trimmed that forecast by 0.5%, partly due to massive jumps in raw material prices which have rattled global markets. And Australian exporters could secure new LNG export contracts for existing and new projects to Europe over the next few years as the region seeks to avoid a long-term gas crunch. LNG prices have soared in recent weeks, hitting a six-month high recently as importers scrambled to source new supplies to reduce their dependence on Russia. 
while analysts see little scope to immediately expand sales to Europe, which is at most risk of soaring prices, Australian shipments could climb over the course of the next few years. With the European crisis, the demand for Australian LNG is likely now to be even greater, which is an opportunity to win more contracts for current new projects. Woodside should be able to contract more of Scarborough and Santos more of Barossa, consultancy Energy Quest said in a report published on Tuesday. While Europe is expected to be in the market for additional LNG supplies, Energy Quest said the gas crunch, brought about by sideline Russia, would be keenly felt in Japan. The dilemma could lead to Japan being required to outbid Europe for Australian supplies, forcing up prices. New demand for Australian supplies comes as work is underway on two major projects. Woodside, late last year, gave the go-ahead to the $16.4 billion Scarborough project, which is set to be the biggest fossil fuel development in Australia for almost a decade, and it's been the subject of a growing environmental opposition. The Scarborough project, holding about 11 trillion cubic feet of gas, would lock in another 30 years of LNG exports starting in 2026, when shipments are due to start from the expanded Pluto site near Cabratha. Santos last year gave a go-ahead for the US $3.6 billion, that's $4.7 billion Aussie, development of the Barossa gas fields off Australia's northern coast. The project, which will supply 20 more years of gas for the 3.7 million tonnes a year Darwin LNG project, is Santos's first major growth investment since the oil price crash a year ago that brought major development projects to a halt. The LNG boom has also stirred speculation of old projects being revived. Woodside's browse venture off the Kimberley coast and its Sunrise project in Timor-Leste could be dusted off and reconsidered, as well as an expansion of Santos's Darwin LNG plant. And Queensland's major flood will cost taxpayers up to $2.5 billion and knock $1 billion off the state's economic growth, according to Treasurer Cameron Dick. As the Insurance Council of Australia said the flooding in southeast Queensland and northern New South Wales had resulted in $1 billion in claims so far, Mr Dick said the natural disaster would cost billions to rebuild key infrastructure, including roads and bridges. The Queensland Reconstruction Authority, which was established to help rebuild after natural disasters such as cyclones, will once again be called on to coordinate rebuilding of key infrastructure. While the Queensland floods did not cause as much damage as previous events like Cyclone Yassi, Preliminary estimates by Treasury estimate predicted it would take 0.25% off gross state product. And more than 2,000 homes and businesses in the state's inundated northern rivers have been declared unlivable, and New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet warned the recovery will take years as the true extent of a disaster becomes clear. Two out of three flood-affected homes in Lismore, which bore the brunt of last week's historic weather event, will need to be demolished and rebuilt or substantially repaired before they can be inhabited while more than 200 schools across the state remain offline. The New South Wales floods have also prompted Deputy Premier Paul Toole to call for a reassessment of where housing developments have been ended across the state, saying the government needed to ensure people were not settled in the path of potential natural disasters. And in a report published on Monday, Energy Networks Australia, which represents a country's grid, says the threat of a changing climate poses significant risk to Australia's security and immediate action is needed. The release of the report comes as Australia's east coast reels from extreme weather that caused devastating flooding across Queensland and northern New South Wales, which Energy said Australia said are a stark illustration of the threat of changing climate. Energy Networks Australia said the cost of building network resilience would be expensive, and it recommended a local approach to improving grid stability that it considers the most likely climate change-induced weather events. Australia's east and west coasts are susceptible to heat waves and cyclones. The threat is different in other parts of the country. Each weather event poses different threats to the grid. Energy Networks Australia said bushfires cause increased line sag, damage to infrastructure and the inability to access facilities for the repair, which could result in prolonged power outages. 
heavy rain and flash flooding also damage infrastructure and in extreme cases there might be mudslides and soil erosion exposing boot buried pipelines and cables. Less well-known impacts include dust, solar radiation and airborne particles that Energy Networks Australia said have the capacity to disrupt power supply. And the winner of a looming federal election should look to nearly double Australia's emissions target by 2030 and develop a national strategy to deal with coal, exiting the power grid faster than expected, a major business group said. The Australian Industry Group, which represents 60,000 businesses, has told politicians the nation's current goal for cutting pollution should be extended to 50% by 2030 to ensure the country does not slip behind its main international trading partners to meet mid-century net-zero targets. While Scott Morrison has committed the country to net-zero emissions by 2050, but has not budged on lifting its 2030 goal for a 26-28% reduction on 2005 levels, although government forecasts show it expects to reach a 35% cut by that time due to more renewables coming online and low emissions technologies. Labor has opted for a 43% cut by the end of this decade if it wins the next election expected in May. The Business Council, representing many of the country's biggest emitters, in October said Australia should almost double its 2030 emissions target to between 46 and 50% to achieve net zero by 2050, citing modelling showing a shift to a clean economy would boost GDP by $890 billion and add 195,000 jobs over the next five decades. The AI Group's demands for greater ambition forms part of its pre-election policy statement on energy and climate, two areas that have, that have, that have at times proven treacherous for both major political parties. And the Commonwealth Bank is predicting overheated house prices will plunge in Sydney and across Australia. Median house prices in the harbour city have spiked 23% in the past year, but could drop nearly $200,000 by the end of 2023, analysis by the Commonwealth Bank shows. The bank's dwelling price projections predict the median house price across Australia will drop by 8% in 2023. This includes a 3% drop this year and a 9% fall next year in both Melbourne and Sydney. And a judge has ordered billionaire Clive Palmer to pay a hefty legal bill after he dropped a $2 million lawsuit against an aircraft repair company over alleged damage to his private jet. Federal Court Justice Bernard Murphy ordered Mr Palmer to pay indemnity costs for Premier Air Aviation Maintenance, meaning the billionaire will cover all the company's expenses in defending the lawsuit. Justice Murphy said Mr Palmer should have to cover Premier Air's completely unnecessary costs in defending the lawsuit because he made the decision to drop the court action. Mr Palmer decided to drop the lawsuit in December after arguing in a November 2020 email to Premier Air that the company had dismantled his Cessna Citation X aircraft for repair without his approval, which constituted damage to the plane. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Zahir Jappi, the founder and CEO of Car Clarity, Australia's first true car loan platform with an easy online application process. And I'll be talking to economist Saul Leslake about the impact of the war in Ukraine on the Australian and global economy. In the meantime, you can catch me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing you talking business next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 